Welcome to the Gridiron Crew podcast, the American football podcast made in Scotland by NFL lovers. This is the Review Crew, and I'm your host, Keith McGinty. Another fantastic weekend of football in the NFL. This time it's the postseason, and it was the wild card weekend. We have six fantastic matchups to talk you through, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by some of the finest crew members and a special guest. First up, how about them cheeseheads? It's Liam McGee. Liam, how are we, buddy? Um, I'm good. I'm good. Very good. Can't, never better, I would, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. What a fantastic weekend. You must be a, a little bit surprised yourself after such an emphatic result. Uh, I'm sure we'll come on to that more, but yes, I am. The, the heart was uh, was ever was ever hopeful, shall we say? <laughs> it certainly was. Um, beyond the expectations. Um, we're also joined by Ross Stud Sterling. For once, it was only the temperature that was dropping in KC. Studs, how are we, buddy? Uh, not bad, mate. Buzzing after the weekend, obviously, and getting into divisional rounds. Still had a couple of drops here for, for one of our very reliable hands in Travis Kelsey. But uh, we'll put that into the weather this week rather than anything else. Ah, we'll get there. We'll get to that as, as well. We're going to be talking all things um, from the Wildcard Games. But as I said, we are also joined by a very special guest. He's a long-suffering founder, host and blog writer of Roar of the Lions UK. And they're one of the darlings of the crew, of course, the, the Detroit Lions. And we're delighted to welcome Matt Turner to the show. Matt, very welcome to the Gridiron Crew. How are you? Um, I imagine still buzzing after a fantastic result this weekend. Yeah, still on a high. Uh, It feels like even though we were favoured for the Rams game, every single pundit, everyone who thought they knew something about the NFL picked against us. So to actually actually win and get it over the line for the first time in 32 years and the second time since 1957 feels pretty special. That's wild. I heard that stuff. I was going to bring that up a little bit um, later on. That's absolutely wild. But we will get into that. Whenever we invite a, a new guest that's not been on the crew before, we always like to get a little bit about their background. We are a long way removed from the NFL, and it's, it's weird and wonderful ways that people tend to get into it. So how yourself, how did you get into American football? And what short straw made you want to be a Lions fan? So, I mean, I always liked playing sports with an oval ball. So I played rugby from the age of three um, and I've I've grown up with that all my life. And when I got to like 14, I knew that American football would be something I would like, but I never really Mm -hmm. pursued it until I got to university. And I started in 2008, but I didn't watch American football that year, thankfully. Yeah. (laughs) And then the Lions went 0-16 that year, got the number one overall pick. I got into it in my second year of university, started playing a bit of Madden, Lions were like the team on play now because they picked yeah. Stafford number one overall. So they were a team I was familiar with playing just in arcade mode at, at that time. And they played in the color of the team that I played for at school. And that's all things. So I was like, okay, yeah. that kind of works. Learn a bit more about the team. And, you know, they've got Megatron and all that sort of stuff. Exciting guys played for the team despite being acting terrible. And partially it was deliberate too because I just, I hate Man United. And, you know, (laughs) in the sort of way of like, God, you just, you can't, you can't, if you have a choice, you can't pick that team that's just going to crush every year because when you don't win, you're just going to bugger off and do something else because it's boring. (laughs) So like I went, 
hard against that and tried to pick maybe the worst team I could. And it seemed like, oh, I play with Detroit a lot on Madden and they're really bad. So let's try this. And then you learn a bit more about the city and it's a really kind of romantic place in in the world. Like it's got a lovely culture to it. The people were fantastic there. Everyone who supports any team says that about their city, I know. But like having gone there and met people, they're so humble gritty i know that dan campbell has brought grit as a thing back to detroit yeah. as, a, as a lions fan but the city's always been that way and it's very well known for that much like you know pittsburgh as well and places like yes that. yeah and you know it's the richest city in the world in the 60s but it went bankrupt in 2011 and the kind of highs and lows of the place mean it's rich of stories and there's just there's something about the place that's just important historically as well as for now, it's it's on the up and it's on the way back. You know, it was a, a top five place in the world to go and visit by, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the travel magazine, but really famous, uh, not uh, Forbidden Planet? Not Forbidden, Forbidden Planet. Planet. Yeah, that's the one I was yeah. thinking. Yeah. yeah, so it was number four in the places to go in the world two years ago because there's wow. something special going on there. And it, it's quite refreshing as a fan of the team to kind of see that all come about now. I think quite a lot of the, the cities in in the UK that we're from Glasgow an industrial city with lots of hard working people and from that the culture that grows from it of mm. course Detroit renowned for its cars Motown the music that came with it as well as you said one of the richest cities in the, the world that would the affluence would have came from the, the car industry mm. but for me growing up it was always the music that was what my mum and dad would listen to the Sam and Dave Marvin Gaye Aretha Franklin uh Ah, oh, just the, the music that I used to listen to, just incredible, and I still love it. Whenever I'm having a bad day at work and driving home, and I've not got a podcast to catch up on, which is very rare these days, um, I listen to a wee bit of Motown. That always sets me right. It's just a, a fantastic. What a, what a great city to to choose. Mm. Um, but as you said, there's also the grit there, and that, that that comes from the people, the the workers that help build the city. In recent years, we've had um, Eminem. The eight mile, of course, that kind of made the, the city famous again. But for me, um, my first real thing that I remember about Detroit and the lines would be studs. I don't know if you'd be the same for this one, would be um, Tim the Still Man Taylor and Home Improvement and uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I just remember <laughs> Eddie Murphy wearing the, the lines leather uh, jacket, Tim yeah. the Still Man P- Taylor wearing his old uh, lines um, worn out jumper as well so they always had this wee grit as you said this wee bit of like, toughness about them um, mm. and what a team that you've got as well and I, th- I like that you've went for a team that aren't perennial winners or uh, achievers that this is this is the, the joke the laughing stock of the, the NFL and they have been for a, a long long time what a difference it is since Dan Campbell's came in there yeah, I mean, I've been a fan properly now, I guess, since maybe 2011, but kind of loosely following since 2009. And this yeah. is the best team we've had in that stretch easily. And not maybe because of the individual personnel. I think the 2014 team was probably better. Stafford was just a bit young then and wasn't quite the player he was that he is now. But we had yeah. the number one, no, number two defense in the NFL along with having Stafford at quarterback in, in that year. And if there was any year with Stafford at quarterback, it was then. Uh, but as a team, as the way it plays in terms of chemistry, th- this is by far and away the best team we've had. So it's, it's a great time to be a fan. Unfortunately, 
it looked like the division was going to be total rubbish until Green Bay decided to wake up on Thanksgiving and haven't stopped <laughs> waking up since. But we'll get onto that, I'm sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Before we get um, any further and start talking about the, the games, because we do have quite a lot to, to get through, let's start with our, our kickoff question, our, our, our opening question. So, yeah, um, with the Browns, the Dolphins, Cowboys, <clears throat> Rams, Steelers, and Eagles all failing at the first postseason hurdle, which fan base, Liam, should feel the most let down? Who are you going for, for from that that bunch there? Well, I just go for the obvious one, shall I? <laughs> I go for it. Let's get out of the way. That's my thing to you. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm going the Cowboys. It has to be the Cowboys, doesn't it? Um, has to be. After every every year, the build up. Every year, not not quite quite over the line, shall we say? Wildly. <laughs> not quite. Well, ball merchants would be another way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Jerry's podcast actually plays a, a role in the, the hype that goes around? I know they are America's team. They've got the, the prime spots when it comes to like Thanksgiving and things like that. But do you think it, the, the, just the hype is kind of stifling them a little bit? What do you think, Studs? For me, I think Jer- Jerry's obviously very outspoken and I'm pretty sure that if he offered people a premium pay-per-view Jerry Jones channel 24-7, they would probably pay it just to hear some of the stuff it comes out with. Um, so, I mean, it's, that's got to filter into the, the changing room and filter onto the players, and it must put them under immense pressure. Um, certain players will thrive under that pressure, but no, everybody, you look at C.D. Lamb, he comes across, he's a guy, obviously, that jumped in and to make the captain says, give me the ball. He wanted mm. to be the driving force of that offence. Um, what was it, week four, I think Dan said he went in and, and did that and it doesn't come across as the kind of prima donna with it, so he's obviously somebody that thrives under that pressure Yeah, not everybody's going to be like that, I don't think so, for me I think you, you're looking at Jerry, you, you really want him maybe to, to stay quiet if it was one or two years since they'd won a Super Bowl, then yeah, fair enough let's keep hype up we're now, what, 20, 20 years or something like that since the Cowboys lasted a, mm-hmm. a Super Bowl or something to that effect. So yeah, I think, I think it was ninety five was the last one. We're, we're coming up on ninth anniversary there, eighteen right, so nineteen think, years. I think it's maybe time for Jerry to kind of pipe down and let the team go on with business. Is there any other teams that maybe fan bases that really should have? What about the Eagles? What about the, the collapse that we've, we've seen there? Um, Matt, do you think that they have a, a right? And I know the. The Philadelphia fans are notorious for being vocal in their support, but also letting the team know when they're, they're unhappy with them. Do they have a, a right this time? I mean, they've just totally collapsed, haven't they? It's absolutely shocking. They were the, the last team to lose a game, I think, this year. Um, and they've lost how many of their last... Eight, six of their last seven, including yep. against the Giants, the Cardinals... Seahawks, I'm not going to lump them in as a bad team, but like they shouldn't be losing those games if they are as good as they think they are. (laughs) Um, And, you know, they're playing against a a Tampa team that had to win five of their last six to get in 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 the worst division in football and have not looked good doing it. Like Mm -hmm. the Eagles fans should be frustrated, but it's obvious. Like it's so bad what's happened there. And I'm not going to be surprised if everyone gets fired. 
And I know that that's a, a massive overreaction to what's happened, given the success they've had. But Sirianni put the worst head coach the Lions have ever had, who was meant to be a defensive genius, who called the best fourth down or best play in defensive history in a Super Bowl, who can't call defense. And he put him in charge late in the season to try and turn it around. And they went from good but struggling and still winning games to losing comfortably. And every, it's all coming out now. All the former players who've played under Patricia are airing their dirty laundry today. And it's, it's fantastic to see. So the fans should be having a go at the head coach, for sure. Howie Roseman's even um, taking some flack. He was one that everybody was lauding at the, the start of the season for the trades that they'd done, the picks that they'd made, and the, the draft as well. So even even he's been getting it tight in the neck. Um, Browns, the, the, the problem is coaching, though. They've drafted really well, and the yep. coaches have put the players in a position to lose. Roseman is still one of the executives of the year for me, because their draft was exceptionally good. Yeah, But if the players are in a bad position, it's not the GM's fault, but the GM has got to stand up and say, I'm not taking responsibility for this. You're gone. Yeah. I think it, I think it's funny in the fact that Seriani's weighing, uh, what, what did we say, one in seven since he's outburst mm-hmm. in the tunnel at Arrowhead um, to the Chiefs when they yeah. were giving him some sticks. So I've seen a lot of those kind of memes, um, which has made me chuckle, I must admit, today. Um, but as Matt said there, they put, um, they put Patricia in charge of the defence they made that change when they were 10-1. and one. They'd literally just beaten Buffalo, I think it was, and that's when mm-hmm. they decided to make the switch at defensive coach. Now, that the Buffalo game was probably their best game of the season. They absolutely showed everybody what they were capable of. That's the one time they've not struggled, and that's when they decided to make a change, which is a bit... That seems baffling to me that that's when you would make the change. One of the crew members that was hoping to join us tonight was Kev. Um, he's an Eagles fan, and something's came up. Um, supposedly, we don't know what it could be. Um, but he has said consistently all season that they've done just enough to get by. So that ten and one, the streak that, that they actually had, the last team, as you said, to to lose a game, it was just getting there. I think it was. We all thought it was they were just about to find their stride and start to really hammer teams. But really, it was just the creeks so that they were just um, patching holes in the ship as it's about to start sinking. Um, teams like uh, the Dolphins, though, again, ball merchants, really, aren't they? That's that's what they've come to see. We've got some friends in their group chat who are, are Dolphins fans, and they were starting to believe. They were starting to get the hype. And I think there is reason to believe it. There is a good team there. There's um, some interesting uh, parts of their defence there attack but it's just not quite good enough and when it comes to like the bad weather I think we were all hoping that um, it was going to be a wee bit different well Studs certainly wasn't hoping it was going to be different but um, I guess they're the bad weather and they just they cut shrivel up and don't really put any any show on like they had done in the, the nice warm days eh Liam? No yeah like I suppose I've gone to more of the games fully but like if they started off so hot as you put it like yeah, you know, running over everyone, and then just slowly, just slowly backed off, backed off, and then just kind of, I think, cumulated in this kind of weekend where I don't think the the, the running game was like non-existent um, against the Chiefs. So, yeah, it's something for them to try and solve somehow. We'll see if they can 
go the other do it the other way, do it the other way around next season, start off cold and work the way up. I think it's the curse of the the end season. Um the show that, that they have oh, on what's um, it called? Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks. <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's the, the curse of hard knocks. It's up with the the Jets, Aaron Rodgers, of course. Um I think that, that might be a, a curse. They'll be definitely volunteering for that next year. Right, fantastic, guys. Let's um, let's get into it then. Uh, Matt, the floor is yours. The LA Rams were humbled humbled by your incredible Detroit Lions in a 24-23 thriller. Um, how was the game for you? Nail-biting and horrifying it was a game of two halves offenses on both sides really fired in the first half um we we scored touchdowns in our first three possessions um we held them to a field goal and then they hit two touchdowns of their own so our defense was non-existent on both sides and then there were nine points total in the second half but both defenses didn't tighten up though they kind of just went bend don't break and there were key third down plays but there was still plenty of yards happening um there was only neither team broke 80 on the ground. So even though it looked like we were running the ball really well, we yeah. went away from it pretty quickly because we were being efficient through the air. Uh, it was a brilliantly cool game on offense by both teams. I mean, Puka Nakua is an absolute hero. Um, what he's yes. done this season is absolutely fantastic. Um, one of your guys were inviting us on and, and was talking to Ant, who's one of my co-hosts. And he is a college football guy and was talking about Puka Nakua 15 months ago saying we yeah. must draft him like he's a day two guy we must draft this guy he falls to the fifth round and is the best rookie rookie wide receiver of all time maybe so yeah. Yeah. he he got 181 yards on the day uh but we we did just enough in key situations the rams down one were in field goal range and were stopped sh- short of the line to gain and could have gone for a field goal but they had a holding penalty their kicker is really bad. It was 50 yards plus, and he is 45% from 50. But we accepted the holding penalty, and we couldn't defend third and long all night. But we had one hold there, and they ended up punting on fourth and 14 when it would have been a 61-yard attempt. And then we were able to bleed the clock. And that was the difference in the game. We forced them into two field goals when we took a touchdown, and then when they could have got one more, we gambled, and we won. But it's a toss of a coin because one of my other guys says... I'd rather have a team in third and three than third and 21 because we always give up the third and 21 <laughs> for some reason. It's like when when people just have to go for it, we can't defend deep. But if it's a short yardage thing, people only aim for that sort of short yardage area. If people tried to burn us over the top, we'd be in real trouble. But there's something weird about that. But Dan Campbell deserves this. Brad Holmes deserves this. And, and the ownership have been fantastic since they came on board. That changed uh, three and a half years ago, just at the end of the old regime. And uh, yes. yeah, she she's installed the right people who've hired the right people, and it's been a long time coming. But I'm I'm not coming down. I'm never coming down off this. Neither should you, mate. No, neither should you. Um, and actually, I was listening to a podcast today, and they were talking about how the ownership have made such a, a big difference. Sorry, I, I can't remember who your donor is now. Um, so but... she's called Sheila Ford Hamp. She inherited from her mother who was Martha Firestone Ford, um, yeah. who inherited from her late husband, who was William Clay Ford, who was one of the sons of the Ford family. So, Amazing. So a fair bit of, fair bit of uh, finances behind them there. Mm. But 
I think this is a, something that we're maybe seeing now is how there's going to be some fresh ideas within the, the league. There's quite a few long-standing um, head coaches are, are stepping away from their, their clubs, not retiring altogether by the sounds of it. It sounds as if they're, they're going to either be moving upstairs with Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Bill Belichick, is, as we heard today, has been interviewed by the Atlanta Falcons, which I, I thought it was hilarious. Someone had tweeted, um, can you tell us about a time that you've uh, faced um, adversity and challenge? So uh, um, we will see some fresh faces um, in, the, in the league, and I think it, that little bit of freshness and that little bit of modern thinking certainly is doing wonders for the, the Lions. Dan Campbell, um, Liam, I think he's been a revelation at the, the team. I think about a joke figure at the start about biting kneecaps and everything thought it was going to be the same old Lions. Maybe I had a wee chuckle and that's why we on the crew could have a have them as a, a wee soft spot for them. But now they have to be taken seriously. Um we saw that at the start of the season, so I'll get to you about your thoughts on that as well. But Dan Campbell, Liam, what what a difference this guy has made to this team. Oh no, yeah, I think he's been he's been an amazing figure figurehead for for the Lions. I think, and I think we all loved when they were on um, was it the Hard Knocks or what was the Hard Knocks yeah. they were on, wasn't it? Yeah. And he just yeah. came, he came across so well in that. It was you know just all the chats of players, even doing like doing the you know the. Doing the the exercises when he when he had you know when he was um when it was it like like penalty or something like that or some sort of fourth he had to do downs, so, yeah. yeah yeah up downs and stuff like that and just being one of one of the guys and nothing else but I think it's even more than that like you've got Ben Johnson there as the, the OC making well he's hotly tipped I think for many a many a job interview this this off season so it's just been they're even though they're one of our rivals um for the in a division they are definitely a fun team to watch they're, I do have a slight soft spot for them just. Always, always good to see them. They just do kind of. I suppose they're kind of similar to the the Forty Niners. They're just fun to watch at times, aren't they? So I think. Yeah, fun and frisky, as we say on the review crew. We've always got a a space in our hearts for a fun and frisky team, and the the, the Lions certainly have been that over the past couple of seasons. Started some come to you the, the start of the season. Um, Arrowhead opening fixture. I'm sure, you were full of. Um, Optimism for the season ahead after winning the Super Bowl, but you guys got a fright, and I think going to Arrowhead to the home of the the champions, that was certainly a statement of intent from the Lions. Did you see much in them at that time that you thought this could be a different season from them? I think you kind of saw what they were they were going to have that um, try and push that running back tandem from kind of more or less day one. I thought that. Um, seen Montgomery, I think Montgomery had a really good day against us from memory. Obviously all the way back in week one, I don't I don't think we did anything against the the running attack of the of the Lions. Um obviously Amon Rasset Brown's just an absolute freak athlete. He is unreal. Um let's be brutally honest. He's just so good. And again, I, I know he didn't get the touchdown this weekend, but he's that last catch on that play to end the game. Um, this weekend was so so clutch for the Lions that it just shows his importance to the team. Um, Goff loves him as a target, obviously, because he always he just doesn't seem to be covered. Um, he's an absolute matchup nightmare for defenses. So I think week one for me, uh, the frustrating thing from our side is what's plagued us all season, and it was the big the drops in key situations. We had 
there was one that particularly stands out, and it was the Kadarius Tony one, where he was just wide mm-hmm. open. He had an easy ten yards to keep the keep it moving, and he's turned his head before he's got that ball in his hands, and it's and you actually see it bouncing out. So, but again, take nothing away from the Lions. They came into Arrowhead and they took the W at the end of the day in week one, and I think that kind of that was a statement of intent uh, for them and what they wanted to do that season for me. Matt, tell us a, a bit about the the, the defense that the Lions have got. You. Be better place than, than any of us. We okay, maybe see a, a cursive look at the, the lines. You know them in a, a much greater detail. We're certainly more um familiar with the offensive players, but who's really stood out for you for the the defense this year? Well, I mean you you can't have a talk about the defense without talking Aiden Hutchinson first. He per PFF leads the league in pressures now after wildcard weekends this season. Wow. Um He's, he's an absolute beast. He's not been converting the pressures to sacks. And I really think that's a product of him being the standout on the line with not really having a lot else there. Aline McNeil's mm-hmm. had a breakout year as a D-tackle. He um, is a third-year guy now, so he hasn't got long left yeah. on his rookie deal. But he, they tried to play him at nose tackle, and it just kind of didn't really work. So they've shifted him out to the three, and he's been fantastic since then. But he had a little bit of time out with injury at the end of the season, so he's only just started getting back now. Um, defensive line otherwise is a bit makeshift it does fine without being spectacular but we're still a top five run defense this year uh we've really given up nothing on the ground in particular uh we just struggle against Russian quarterbacks we can't deal with them at all so if we come up against the Chiefs again I think Mahomes could tear us a new one with that or I mean Baltimore you know if we get if we go all the way There's just AFC teams I really think we should be losing to comfortably for that aspect alone. The the back seven is a big problem. Now, our linebackers have come up. They're better than they were last year when they were horrible. And they're now middling. Jack Campbell's had rookie issues as a first-round linebacker. He was really bad to begin with. And actually, everyone thought he was going to start as a rookie linebacker, first-rounder. And he didn't because he wasn't there yet. And so Alex Anzalone and Derek Barnes were the starters. Barnes has come on big from being benched last year to being a, a reasonable starter. Anzalone was a top 10 linebacker in the league for the first half of this year and then dropped off a bit with an injury and he's struggled to come back, but but last week was good. The DBs, uh, they mm. need big investment. They, they took Cam Sutton from the Steelers last year in a reasonable deal and... He's been asked to play cornerback one, but at best he's a good cornerback two, and he's just getting burned. He looks like a fish out of water. At this point, I'm really worried about that. And then you've got Kindle Vildor as cornerback two now, which is just rough. I mean, he was um, picked up off waivers in week 11, and he was CB4, and he's just elevated himself up because everyone else has been poor, and that's what we're dealing with at cornerback. On the other hand, though, Brian Branch who was everyone's darling in the draft, but somehow fell, has been exceptional. And there are many jokes with Green Bay fans about how Brian Branch is considering he traded up three places to get him in the draft last year. But he's been a top three nickel in the NFL this year. And it really shows, you know, he has rookie mistakes. He gives up DPIs a little bit too easily, but he's sticky in coverage, great as a blitzer. He's been a big, big addition. We just need to sort out cornerback one, and we'll be okay. But it's a work in progress. 
It certainly is. Um, I don't need to even come to you about who's your, your star in the, the O-line. Of course, we know that it's Graham Glasgow. Glasgow being the Scottish podcast that's this, our guy representing. Good man. Um, Glasgow is um, the American podcast that I'd like to listen to, refer to them as. Um, he is actually always... Glasgow, though. Everyone says Glasgow. It is Glasgow. Get out. Get out. Yeah, <laughs> terrific. I'll have a wee chuckle to myself when that's on. Um, <laughs> what about the QB then? Um, Liam, I'll come to you. I thought it was quite heartening to see just how the team, the fan base, and pretty much the city as well just rallied around Jared Goff. The atmosphere in that stadium looked incredible when they were chanting his name and Matt Stafford's ears must have been absolutely ringing as he took to that field um, the, the other night. It was it was incredible. How do you think that wave of emotion that, that poured out for Jared Goff, how much do you think that played a factor in him leading the team to victory? Well, yeah, well, yeah, obviously, I definitely think it's going to have a factor. But I think this was also the nerves. I'm sure you'd have been under to come in before him, but he's been doing it pretty much all season, hasn't he? Been, yes. um, and I think it was just summed up the clip you kind of was getting going around the social media was of Dan Campbell throwing him the one of the game balls, just saying, you know, you're you're good enough for Detroit, sort of thing. And that just kind of summed it up, yes. I think, quite nicely. It was just it was typical Dan Campbell, actually, wasn't it? Um, just you know, you know, he's obviously had his. Well-documented struggles in LA, obviously at the end and things like that. But he's not really done that much wrong when he's been in Detroit. Really, overall, I know he's had some ups and downs at times, but he's been pretty, pretty stable, I think, from what, what from what I've seen of him. Anyway, certainly. So, so yeah, I think it's and it'll be a well-deserved thing to get off his back as well to have that that victory in the playoffs over the Rams and then moving on to the next round to see see where the story leads. It was nice to get one over Sean McVeigh a little bit there. I think that that just added a little bit of a sweet bit of sweetener to the the win for them. Um, two hundred and seventy-seven yards, twenty-two for twenty-seven, and the the one touchdown for Goff. Um, Matt Stafford though, um, starts uh, just pivoting to the the Rams for a little bit. Stafford had twenty-five for thirty-six, three hundred and sixty-seven yards and two touchdowns. But of course, as we said, he had the cheat code that is booking the cure um, with him as well. What a what a face off between the two the two guys. You can see there's a a good mutual respect for the two of them there. Stafford obviously looks to love have loved his time in Detroit. He got to go to LA, he got to get that big move, he got to get the, the Super Bowl that he craved and probably deserved with his performances. He got hot at the right time. But so did the, the ownership and when they, they sold them and traded so that you've been able to build the, the, the lines have been able to build this team. What did you make of um, Stafford then, Studs? Do you think that it was, it was uh, he was wanting to hide into nothing really, wasn't he? I, I, did you see him coming out into the, the stadium and the, the booze that they were there? It was it was wonderful to see. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he must have knew the reception he was going to get. I don't think he, he comes across as quite as an, an intelligent guy when you listen to him speaking. Um, he's, again, what he did for Detroit, he was loved there during that time. There's no doubt about that. He put his body through absolute hell for that team. Um, and you've, I think we've all seen the clips. The particular one that stands out is the one where he, I think he does his collarbone. And he comes back in to throw the final touchdown and win the game. Um, so, as I say, it just goes to show what that city and what that team meant to him when he was playing for them. Um, 
as you say, I think it was on to an absolute hiding to nothing. So if he beat the Lions, the Lions would have been cursing him because he came back and he ruined their playoff hopes and the Bobby Lane curse was continuing because of Matt Stafford or <laughs> if, if what happened on Saturday, Sunday, as we've seen um, the Lions beat them. He really wasn't a no-lose situation. But I think Matt Stafford, and obviously we've spoken we've spoke about Pukunuku, they're two guys that can absolutely walk out of this game. Their head held high. They literally left everything out in the field. Um, what really surprised me about this one was um, Cooper Cup and how little involvement he had in the game. Um, yep. If you look at his actual total yards, he's the number six wide receiver for the Rams in this game behind somebody who I'm very familiar with and Demarcus Robinson um, behind Tutu Atwell behind the very well-known Ronnie Rivers as well, do you know what I mean? It's it's very surprising that you're looking at somebody who pretty much carried the Rams to the Super Bowl um, when they won it Yeah. To, and I get he's had injury issues the last couple of years but he completely disappeared for me in this game and again that could be a credit to the Lions defence um, and um, branch maybe was shadowing them and keeping them quiet, so they were maybe targeting Nakua on on the other cornerbacks and stuff. So it might have been a game plan from Dan Campbell. I don't know, but I would certainly expect one of my stars of Cooper Cup to be more involved in the biggest game of the Rams season. There's going to be a wee theme throughout the 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 games from the weekend. I thought it was um, the influence of um, tight ends in matches, and it was good to see Matt that. Sam Laporta, even though it was heavily wrapped up before the match, his left knee, um, he was back and he made a, a difference. He, three receptions for 14 yards and one touchdown. Is he possibly a, a difference maker for your team if you are going to continue on this journey this year? He's been a top five tight end this year in the NFL. And... I, I try and say that without hyperbole and being biased, but I, I genuinely believe he's been above, above Hawkinson in terms of what he provides to us, because it's not just the receiving, but he's been a very able blocker as well, which is really important right. for our scheme. But it was only 14 yards, but two of those catches were so important. The, the first one was that touchdown, which is maybe the most beautiful play of the weekend. And it's only a three-yard touchdown or two-yard uh, two touchdown. But it's jumbo set with no wide receivers on the field. You've got a sixth offensive lineman, a fullback, and two tight ends. And then they split out from their eye formation with everyone on the line into two tight ends and uh, the fullback splitting out. <laughs> so you've got six offensive linemen and no wide receivers all lined up as wide receivers. And by doing that, what you did is you had all the heavy guys in on defense. So you had a defensive mm -hmm. uh, D-end, uh, Hoyt, for the Rams, having to cover Sam Laporta as a receiver. And that's what Ben Johnson does. You know, he just schemes up something that's just really simple, but actually you watch it in motion, and you're like, oh, you literally can't defend this. And you're like, okay, but they've got heavies up front, and that's going to be difficult to allow Goff to get this off. Ah, but you've got the sixth offensive lineman in, so it's not even that risky. It's just a beautifully designed play. But the second catch was potentially more important, which is the, the Lions were behind the sticks, just outside of field goal range. Laporta catches the ball behind the line of scrimmage and somehow, in a diving effort, gets five yards, which allows us to get the 54-yard field goal, which wins us the game. So yeah. it may not be very many yards, but massively important. He's been a revelation to us. And you worried about Ben Johnson? 
um, come the end of this season, wherever it ends for the, the Lions, do you think he is in a rush to, to leave? It'll be much sought after, especially with such high-profile positions becoming available. Are you worried that you could maybe see him leaving this this year? I'm not sure. He has seven interview offers at the moment, so he's very much in demand. Um, yeah. Very highly regarded. He had a bad stretch this year. In the middle of the season, he kind of went a bit weird um, mm -hmm. and came back strong towards the end of the year, so I'm not worried about that. But he, he, he declined an interview from the Carolina Panthers last year. And one of the reasons he gave is that he didn't want to move his family. He, he said, my family's settled here. They go to school. I don't want to take them out of that environment. And it's going to take a lot, therefore, for someone to break that reasoning. Now, one of the reasons might be, I don't want to go and work for Dave Tepper. And this is the excuse I'm going to give, which is perfectly <laughs> reasonable. But it exists in my mind an idea that perhaps he just doesn't want to be a head coach and is quite content being an OC, but he's going to entertain the interviews anyway. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 on whether he's going to go. If he does go, I'm not worried. And I think a lot of Lions fans are where I'm at with this. We fired Anthony Lynn as our first offensive coordinator in this regime about six months in, and Dan mm -hmm. Campbell took over play calling, and the offense markedly improved. And then Campbell and Johnson together built the scheme before Johnson then took over play calling duties. So Campbell knows all of this like the back of his hand. And actually, yeah. for being a rah-rah figurehead guy, he's incredibly smart. And it gets overlooked and people underestimate him. But he is very much an X's and O's guy. So I'm, I'm fine. If, if Ben wants to go, goes with our best wishes, he's delivered some fantastic football here. But we'll be okay. I always think of him as uh, a bit like uh, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Just the, the rock and roll football um, seems to be seems to be what he, he's into. I, I love that he's a um, approach to fourth downs, um, just going for it, and just the mentality that that creates within the team. That if they go for it and they get it enough times, that that team, whenever it comes to a big play and a, an important match, they've got that wealth of experience and those feelings that they can do it they're going to help that's going to help them push them over that line that they're going to get those yards that they need to get the the first down um yeah really, really I mean, interesting it's really weird just to, on that point that he dan campbell gets this rep and brandon staley who goes for it almost as much as he did or maybe slightly more doesn't have that rep and I think it's because Dan goes for it in the right moments and he didn't last year, but he's kind of learned a bit and he's pulled himself back just a tad. Still goes for it a lot, but he's light years ahead of other coaches in terms of win percentage increased due to those decisions. The analytics are all there and I don't think he's a massive analytics guy, but they agree with what he's doing and that makes a yeah. big difference to us. Amazing. Anything else that we want to cover from the Lions 24, Rams 23? Um We've covered that pretty extensively, guys. It's a really, really good, interesting discussion on that there. Anything else? Oh, fantastic. This is one I think we've all been looking forward to getting our teeth into. This is the, the nice, juicy Texan steak of uh, a match that we, we can get started into. Liam, what an opening. What a first half from your boys. Um, it finished. Cowboys 32, Green Bay Packers 48. How did how how did Jordan Love 
pull that off. That was that was incredible. Uh, yeah, well, it's, talking about the first half, it, the first um, three plays nearly didn't go the, the way we were wanting them to. I think it was yeah. Jones ran for, for no yards. Then we, we got away for a sack on Love uh, with a, a penalty in the defence. And then we had yeah. another, I think, a three-yard loss yeah, from Jones on the run. But after that, as soon as Love made that kind of throw to Dobbs in the middle, um, which he, Dobbs was open all, all, all game in the middle of the field. I don't know what was going on with the defence there, but he just settled in and took seven like seven minutes off the clock for that first drive or something like that just it was quite it was it was an impressive sight to see and i think we've kind of done a lot of that we've done that a few times now all season is taking the you know winning the toss and taking the ball um mm. we did it against the lines um somewhere and just you know i think that was a kind of key to get ourselves ahead and make and make dallas have to to come back even even though if we won score always keep that kind of that that wheel foot in front sort of thing and we just didn't really look back you didn't really give them any hope I thought um, when I was watching the game every time Dallas looked as if they were going to get a bit back into it started to get a bit of momentum the the Packers just crushed them a little bit more they, they put points on the board when they had to at, at important times um, it was, it was um, even going into the half when the Cowboys had just got that touchdown just to give them that wee bit of glimmer of hope and they were talking about what was it the Jags last season had managed to do a, yeah. a, a remarkable yeah. comeback I th- it didn't feel like that was the way it was going to be but seeing this it was such a, a one-sided match at times it felt like Dak Prescott got 403 yards he was 41 of 60 with three touchdowns the difference between him and Jordan Love was 16 of 21 272 yards and three touchdowns was the two interceptions for Dak. And that, I think, was the the real um, change in the flow of the game studs. Um, what did you make of it? Did you, did you manage to catch much of it? Yeah, I, I kind of sat and watched this one. And at one point when it was 27 nothing to the Packers, I was just, I, I was probably in as much disbelief as Liam at that point as to what was actually <laughs> going on. Um, but I, I mean, the Dark Prescott and CD Lamb, the Jair Alexander, uh, and us, the pick that he got on CD Lamb. I know Dan on the crew is he's um, an advocate of pass interference on that one. Um, he feels that <laughs> Jair's maybe got a hold of his arm, but even so, it's still such an athletic catch for me for uh, from Alexander and that slant route from CD Lamb has been so effective for the Cowboys, it really has um, I think they even tried it in their first drive as well and it was an uncharacteristic drop for CD Lamb if memory serves me mm-hmm. um, where he had the 10 yards he had the first down and it just kind of he dropped out of his hands um, so it just the Cowboys looked off pretty much from their first drive um, and I think I, the game, the score, the stats for me in this one don't tell the story of the game. It makes it look a lot closer than what it was. The Cowboys, a lot of their stuff came in garbage time for me when the Packers had really took their foot off the gas. They knew the game was won. And for me, I think 27 nothing. I think that's really... Well, in all honesty, they could have probably took love off at half time and probably still won this game, um, which sounds quite disrespectful for the Cowboys, but I think the Cowboys had just been that bad. Um, they really underperformed under the bright lights. It was a 
it was a bit of a signal for the, the Cowboys to see the Packers' um, second-string quarterback coming on for the last um, few plays, really, really rubbing their nose in it. And I think many of the, the Cowboys fans thought they might have seen him at some point, but it was after an absolute hiding from them boys. But um, it just wasn't to be. It was it was, it was weird, Matt. Jim, uh, so sorry, did, anybody see, did anybody see Jimmy, is it Jimmy Johnson at halftime? <laughs> going absolutely nuts. Um, I've seen it. I seen the clip on Twitter, and if I would highly recommend if you haven't seen it, go and find this clip um, of them going nuts on the halftime show. Uh, try to rally them boys, but uh, they obviously never played it into the changing room. <laughs> it certainly wasn't the inch by inch chat, um, the monologue that we we all know and love. It was, it was just, it was just raging, and there's oh. been so many. Former Cowboys players than that have been on taken to Twitter and to to just put on rants and the meltdown that's came from it is a little bit glorious. It's beautiful, beautiful. Um, what was the the standout for you, Matt? What did you thoroughly enjoy from this? Because I think many fans of uh, the teams that aren't the Cowboys have really, really enjoyed this one. I mean, if you're in the NFC, you hate the Cowboys. If you're not the Cowboys, I mean, just grown up with that. So it, it, even as a team which has grown up to hate the Packers, this was glorious. It was just fantastic to watch. And Dak Prescott didn't lose this game. Like, I know he had two picks, and they were bad picks. But if your defense can't stop anything, then you're not going to win. And they were talking about that on the coverage. It's like, well... If the defense can wake up, maybe you've got a shot. But if they don't, it doesn't matter how many points you score, and it didn't. I mean, Love had 16 completions, and they comfortably won the game. Like, it was just egregiously bad. And part of his scheme, I mean, the Cowboys have struggled against the rush, uh, the rushing attack all year, and Aaron Jones just went off. He was fantastic. So yes. between Aaron Jones having 118 yards and three touchdowns, when Jordan Love has 13 yards per attempt compared to Dak Prescott's 6.7, you're not winning. And Love scares me. like it, Because I felt fairly comfortable at the start of this year that he wasn't going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Even if he was good, I didn't think you could go three back-to-back. And now I'm like, there's a chance. There's a legitimate chance that he could just be really, really good. Because... He was an out-structure guy who's been taught to play in structure by one of the best. And you can see that progression. And he throws weird. Like, I I, I don't like watching him as a quarterback, just aesthetically. It, it doesn't look pretty to me, but it's very effective. And, I mean, the Cowboys, what do you do? Three 12-win seasons in a row haven't gone to a championship game. The Packers have more playoff wins in your stadium than you do. <laughs> which is just the best stat ever. What, do they burn it all down? The thing is, they've drafted well. I mean, you've yeah. got a defensive Ferguson. player. Ferguson, fantastic. But in terms of, you know, you Demarcus Lawrence and all yeah. those guys on that defensive line, Micah Parsons is maybe a defensive player of the year candidate every single year. They have no hope of winning a Super Bowl. They shouldn't feel like they have any hope of winning a Super Bowl because they just aren't gritty enough they don't have to go through enough adversity and it's why miami lost they're a they're a they're they're an autumn team they're not a winter team 
even though they play indoors. It's just something about January where they're full to pieces, and it's glorious. Um, a few things that I, that I quite liked about it, one of the talking about stats that popped up was um, Dan Quinn, his former coordinators, are Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, and Matt LaFleur. And Matt LaFleur seemed to have his number the full game. You mentioned the, the defence. The defence just seemed to start way, way, way back. They were not getting up. Like you said, there was no grip. They weren't getting up in the, the face of the Packers at all. They were allowing them the, the freedom of the, the stadium. It was it was really, really weird. Um, do you know how many sacks John Love took? Do you know how many sacks John Love took, Keith? Um, was it was it zero? <laughs> yeah. And when you look at Matt mentioned, you've got Lawrence on one side, Micah Parsons on the other. How good were the Packers at containing all those guys? They did whatever they have to. I think I think they get one holding call maybe on Parsons. I think I remember. Was that, was that this week or was that last week? Parsons gets first holding call three months. I can't remember, but <laughs> there was something about that. Um, but Jordan Love was just so efficient at getting either out the pocket to get away from that rush, or yep. getting the getting the ball away quick out on his um, twenty one attempts, sixteen completions, whatever it was. Um, do you know what I mean? So you're looking if you're not going to sack the quarterback, you're not going to win a game. You need to affect the quarterback, and you're looking at somebody first playoff game in a big, massive stadium like the Cowboys. They should have been putting pressure on him from the very first snap to see if he could live up to it. I think you mentioned. Sorry, Liam, on you go, I think Parsons only had one pressure the whole game. I think, and that just, you know, and I think that was an unblocked. It wasn't. He wasn't even blocked. That was only when he was unblocked in that one when he got to it. But um, so I think, yeah. our whole line held up well. I think our, our right tackle, uh, Zach uh, Tom, has been outstanding. I can't remember what his PFS stats now, but he's up there now. Like he's just kind of come on leaps and bounds throughout the season. Um, I like that. I think we just talking about Jordan Love. I think we just had you know, the cadence. We had he checked out of plays when he needed to. He just made mm-hmm. all the right calls. You know, he just saw what the defense was doing and and changed the play we needed to. So uh, it was. Don't get me wrong, that last six minutes of that game was uh, a hard watch, a worrying watch um, when we put our backups in and put our starters back in and put our backups in again. But um, yeah, it was. We just kind of. Matt LaFour, I think, had a great play calling day. I think he, his, some of his play calling was immense. That um, Musgrave yeah. play where Musgrave was wide open. I don't know who was, what the, wow. what the stat was. He was just nowhere, nowhere one was near him. Um, that was a, a great play. Um, yeah, I think it was all around that. Uh, as as I kind of lean up to the week, it was all about you know this uh, you know, all the chat about house money. We've got nothing to lose, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And we just went out there with no fear, or it seemed to be that way. And just if we lose, we lose. If we win, uh, can't get any better, and it it couldn't get any better really. So, and and that's the thing. It's it's this young team that you've got. Romeo Dubs um, was there. Luke Musgrave, fifty-two yards with three receptions, and he got a touchdown. Dontavian Wicks. Um, got a touchdown as well. Tucker Craft played his part. Um, players like Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed didn't even get any uh, yeah, no, receptions. He's, you know, he's been game. our top receiver we all, all year. And exactly. Didn't, didn't get so there's more to come from you guys. Just turning back to the, the Cowboys, and I don't like to stick the boot in too much, but you mentioned um, the, the, the quarterbacks <laughs> and having issues. 
I think I think we saw in the first half the deal issue was C D Lamb and Dak just were not vibing and the cameras picked up on that. If that's getting picked up from the, the, the sidelines and from the, the cameras and people watching, that's not the time for that to be happening. There was a bit of a difference straight after the as the second half started, C D Lamb got I think three receptions in a row and they looked as if they were starting to, to cook, but by that time it was it was just far too late. That was not the time for teams to have um, to have fallouts. That should have been well above that. He should have been getting his team rallied and getting everybody on side, no matter what it it, it takes. Um, yeah, terrific, terrific. Um, we'll get to the the Packers um, on the preview show on Thursday with uh, Dan will be hosting that and we've got some special guests lined up for, for that one as well but Liam you must be full of hope going into the, the next game well, I think like I said it was house money this week so we house money next week so we've got nothing to lose we're not expected to win <laughs> again I think it's going to be a as I kind of touched on going going into the, the, the game all week your kind of heart was saying you know I think we've got a chance to win this we always seem to do well against Dallas Obviously, your, your, your head's saying otherwise, you know, how Dallas has been all season. But, you know, I kind of went into the game, you know, I think, believing that we had a good chance. I think San Francisco is a different, a different, yeah, a different, um, you know. I can't see Shanahan prospect, you know? letting something like that happen. And I suppose our recent history against San Francisco has not been great in the playoffs, shall we say. But, again, we've we've been... Love is on up every, every every week from the Steel, I think from the Steelers game kind of mid season he's just been getting better and better and better and I think each week you're kind of like oh, is that his, is that his ceiling can he get any better and he seems to just be doing that extra wee thing he's just kind of still as we kind of touched so many times in this podcast we've kind of mentioned I've mentioned about you know you know it's like a year to learn what love is we've kind of we know what he is now it's just kind of how high can he go I suppose um but I know it's only, absolutely I, I'm still a bit reluctant to say it fully because it's only been what how many games it's been uh, eight or nine games <laughs> but, you know uh, but we'll get into that more in the off season I'm sure but yeah so it's listen I, I like what you say house money house money and if there's anywhere to, to hit the jackpot it's uh the 49ers and uh, we've got a, a green and gold rush there superb okay um I think that's that's pretty much covered anything. Matt, anything else you'd like to add? Just a wee giggle at the Cowboys expense. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just looking forward to to Lions Packers for the NFC Championship game. Ah, <laughs> uh, that'd be terrific. Definitely get your boys back on then if that is the <laughs> if that is yeah. the case. Um, let's head to um, across the state then for the the Browns um, traveling to the Texans now. Another darling of the the crew. The Texans and Demeco Ryan's team have been wonderful to watch. Was it uh, fun and fruity? Is it feisty? Fun and feisty? We, we, we say uh, for the the Texans and the Lions this season. Fun, fun and frisky. To watch. Fun and frisky. That's the one. Apologies. Um, <laughs> T.J. Stroud. What a what a debut season from him. Um, how impressed have you been, Matt, of T.J. Stroud and the the rookie quarterback? Of course, went number two in the draft this year. Panthers must be kicking themselves now. Yeah, um, I had the pleasure of watching him live in college, actually. So when I went to Detroit um, for Thanksgiving 2021, uh, I went to Michigan, Ohio State as well in the big house. So that was a really cool experience. And Stroud lost that day. Um, He still could make all the throws in college, and you could see that. The only question on Stroud ever 
was can he do it in the big game? And his mm-hmm. final game of his college career, he should have won the national championship. He did enough to win the national championship and kind of got screwed by Georgia, which is a shame. Um, but then in the pre-draft process, I kind of talked myself into he's got no bottle. And I don't really know why, because he clearly should have been QB1. And looking back now, it's so obvious to say, but with the prototypical build, which clearly makes a difference in the NFL, there's only very few guys that have succeeded less yeah. than six foot. Stroud has just got every, he can make every throw. His throwing motion again is really weird. He likes to kind of jump with two feet in the air and then throw, <laughs> which is just like, you can't be taught to do that. You just must be natural. But yeah, he still gets some power. Mm. Uh, him and, and and Love are kind of in a similar sort of tier for me right now mm-hmm. with the way Love is playing. Both of them just feel similar to me. So, but Stroud was magnificent. And I mean, Nico Collins just having the absolute year of his life. And he's from Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So he's, he's really coming alive. But the Texans are doing it without Tank Dell, who was their best receiver this year. And he's gone down on IR and Mechie's coming alive and Dalton Schultz and Brevin Jordan, Nico Collins and Xavier Hutchinson, Robert Woods. They've just got weapons. And I mean, it feels a bit like the Lions. They're understated, Uh, but it works. The chemistry is there. And who's going to stop them? They put 45 on up to what week 16, 17 was one of the top five defenses in NFL history. Yes. And they put 45 on them. It's, it's fantastic to watch. It certainly was. Um, the Texans doing that, and I think there's a wee similarity between the Texans and the, the Lions, as you said. Devin Singletary and Montgomery, kind of a bit of symmetry there between the, the two of them. One of the players that's maybe like, that's, uh, disappointed me for the Texans was Damian Pierce. I thought he had a promising rookie season. I was really looking forward to seeing what he could do this year, but really hasn't pushed on at all. But Singletary coming in this year certainly has has done. Collins taking over. Um, it's, it's just been a, a bit of a revelation. And he's just got that great symmetry studs with the CJ Stroud. What a, what a difference he, he's made. Uh, 96 yards from six receptions and he got a touchdown as well uh, in the game at the at the weekend there against the Browns. It was really, really weird to see the Browns playing so poorly and being cut home so easily at times. I think you seen like the odd couple of flashes last year in Nico Collins. There was like, certain games you seen and he just seemed to explode or he'd pull a catch out of nowhere that you just saw, mm-hmm. wait a minute, there's something in this guy. And I think Obviously, Matt mentioned there, Tag Dale has, was, ha, has been the best receiver for the Texans until he went down. Collins has just stepped up big time. Um, yep. Collins and Schultz, to be fair, so taking nothing away for Dalton Schultz as well. Um, those two guys have really picked up that load. But again, Collins was having a good season alongside Tag Dale. CJ Stroud was shown that he could supply multiple targets. Um, yes. And it's just... He, he, just keeps for me, CJ Stroud just keeps seeming to be evolving his game. He's getting more comfortable in the system as the season goes on. And at this time of year, that's when you want to be seeing these guys hitting form. And CJ CJ Stroud is really doing that. Um I, I joked in the preview preview crew a couple of weeks ago when I was getting stuck about the Arrowhead Invitational. And I said for <laughs> me, the way that the Arrowhead Invitational comes back is the Texans get into Baltimore. 
Um, so, and I've, I've got it in my predictor as well. I've got the Texans beating the Ravens. Um, do you know what I mean? So I feel I'm fully behind the whole CJ Stroud thing. He's getting more comfortable in the system. He's gaining in confidence. And as Matt said, you're looking at what that that defense of the Browns. He's just dropped forty five on them. He has just absolutely destroyed them. Liam, um, would you say the Texans are maybe a, a bit further ahead um, in their planning, their their growth that than Demeco Ryan's was probably expect them to be? I think you'd have to say that with the the, the last couple of seasons when they've been, you know, say that the second second pick in the draft this year, so they've been, you know. You know, they nearly got the first round pick, and then you know had that wonderful, wonderful last last uh, week seventeen win, and uh, yeah, and went dropped down to, to second. So yeah, they've they've think they've kind of obviously hit hit the jackpot. I think with Stroud, he's been phenomenal all season. So they've just kind of seemed to build on that, and then just gaining confidence. And everyone just seems to be bought in. I think with um, what they're doing, I think it's kind of a bit like um, I can heard one of the podcasts talking about you know obviously. The San Francisco element of you know buying buying into the whole scheme of buying into what they're doing and taking on. And they yes. seem to um they've just seemed to be doing the exact same thing, just brought that kind of same mentality over um with the, the coaching change and, and just seem to be going from strength to strength. Um towards the end of the season, Joe Flacco had four games in a row with over three hundred yards and Matt this seemed to be where Joe Flacco turned from a beautiful princess back into a pumpkin, and uh, it was it was sad to see in a way because I think everybody enjoyed the fairy tale of the Browns actually getting rid of uh, Matt Canada and finally actually getting the the winter. Oh, am I getting mixed up here? Is that the Steelers? Right, right, right. Matt right. Canada was the Steelers. <laughs> So it was, so it was, sorry, not um, just the, the 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 number of quarterbacks that they've been through. Deshaun Watson, who I don't think there's many fans of of him, and not many people want him to do well. It's um, a little bit poetic that the Texans are moving on at the Browns' expense when the Deshaun Watson's not there at the the moment. But Joe Flacco came in and he kind of turned things around. They was they were making them interesting to watch and making them exciting. They were they were getting them. Um, flowing again. David and Joku was starting to really, really come onto a game. Do you have a wee bit of a sadness in how it seems to have gone for Joe Flacco? Do you, can you see him coming back for another year? Matt, sorry. sorry, I'll have to <laughs> I'll have to take myself off me. Um yeah he's played himself into a job somewhere. He'll be a he'll be a backup somewhere and he'll probably be the first person a team calls if if their starter goes down around the league. It is worth mentioning that he did not have an interception-free game for the Browns. Um, he, he had, in his previous five starts to this game, uh, a pick against the Rams, a pick against Jacksonville, three against the Bears, two against Houston, and one against the Jets. Like, the defense has been winning games while he has been facilitating the offense. He, yes. again was not bad enough for Cleveland to lose this game, given what they have produced over the season. The defense having an absolute nightmare is the reason why both Texas teams lost their respective games. <laughs> but yeah, lo- love Flacco. He gives us hope for all older people that they can still play the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for a kicker spot somewhere. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe settle for a long snapper. 
I mean, Reese Samet's just come over, isn't he? I don't know if you saw that. The the Wales no. um winner. Yes, actually. Yeah, he's gone really over to the international player pathway program. So there's there are people transitioning over. I can see it happening. I think we might actually that might be one of our kickoff questions for the Thursday um preview crew. Um, Dan had to put that in today. I'll be interested to see how he gets on and where he sees himself. I think we were thinking that he could possibly be a, a run back, but possibly a wing back. He's, he's, he's six three two ten, so he's, he's, he can't be a running back. I think he's too big. So he'll have to be a wide receiver or maybe a, a kick returner. I mean, he runs the, the 100 metres in 10-5, 10-6. So Amazing. he's a fast guy. Amazing. Um, there was lots of talk for the, the, the Cleveland about how well they'd done this season and as you said that was built on the, the defence and nobody really expected them to get as far as they, they did I don't think anyone really expected the collapse that we saw either um, do you think this was probably the, the, the best that they could have really hoped for this year maybe have they exceeded expectations stud or should they feel a wee bit let down we talked about it at the start of the kickoff question I, th- I think ultimately when you get into the wild card round, divisional round, you get into the playoffs, you always want a little bit more. I don't think there's a fan base about that wouldn't want to go that one step at a time mentality. If we can get through this round, let's see who we've got next. Can we get mm-hmm. through that round? Um, I think there was a big wave of emotion probably looking at maybe week 17 after Flacco had secured that spot for them. Um, as you, you'd mentioned, we'd seen the previous game against the Texans was the game Amari Cooper blew up um, for his 265 yards or whatever it was. Um, David Njuko, you mentioned, he'd been really stepping up under Flacco as well. So for me, I think the Browns maybe did expect a little bit more. Um, and I think they, with that defence and how it had been performing all season, they were well within their rights to do so. Um, they just did it again, similar to the Cowboys. They just did not perform on, under the under the bright lights. And again, you're looking at what CJ Stroud was able to do. I think the only person I remember getting a hand on him was um, Osamoa. Well, JOK, we'll call him. I'm not even mm-hmm. going to try and pronounce that name. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the only one I actually remember for watching it, getting a lane of glove on CJ Stroud. Um, I, I don't remember seeing Miles Garrett getting anywhere near him. Um, and again, your look, Denzel Ward was completely ineffective in, in the secondary as well. I do think it was quite cute for the Texans, and the reason I say that is they seem to have some, they seem to realise that they could get the beating of Newsom, and I think mm-hmm. he got burned in a lot of big plays for the Cleveland secondary. And I think that was a specific tactic for the Texans. They knew which cornerbacks to target and they were putting the likes of Collins on him and that's where the ball was won. Liam Bryan, um, that regularly hosts host the review crew, um, has been buying the drum for Kevin Stefanski for a while now to be coach of the year. Um, has the Michael Ryans overtaken him with this and the, the change in fortunes that the Texans have got? Has this one really sealed that one for you? Um, I think it possibly could. Um, I suppose. How do you how do you become coach of the year if you've if you've lost uh, if you've lost the, one of your rivals for that title? I suppose. Um, 
but fair, he's done. You can't really take it back away from what he's taken, done with his four quarterbacks. Um, you know, and obviously the defense that they had. But I suppose that's another thing kind of gone. Obviously, we touched on how good our defense was this season, but now the season is done for them. Can you never really see it really repeated fully again after a year later, or really difficult to get to that same level again? Can they do that again? You know, you know, it's going to be a, an interesting off season and, and into next season. You know, with with Watson, I suppose coming back. He's not really performed, really, has he, for the most no. part, when he's been in. So they've been living off the defense all this time. Can can that can that shift at all? That's what time will tell. That's was uh, we shall see. <coughs> Anything else from the the Browns uh, at the Texans? What a, a fantastic result for them! I, I really hope that the the Texans can push on. Keep going I've, um, next week. I've got one thing I just I know, and I know I shared it with the Gridiron Crew boys earlier on, and it's my favourite quote about this text the Browns at Texans for a, PF, a PFT commentator on CJ Stroud. He's got such good touch. Deshaun Watson probably wants a massage from him. As soon as I seen that, I buckled. I got that was me and working my lunch. I could not move when I seen that. So. <laughs> there's been some. There's been some great patters from the the, the the broadcasting agencies over in America. On the, the what was the other one about he, relying heavily on the D um, as well. Uh, um, yeah. The guy talked to MJD um, about riding the D, and Boris George Drew just looks at him. <laughs> Terrific, terrific. We'll get to that end of the season. Everybody's getting a wee bit tired. They're, they're, they're pushing boundaries a wee bit. Superb. Um, so, finished 45-14 um, um, to the Texans in that one. Let's head now uh, to Tampa for the Buccaneers 32, Eagles 9. Um, we talk about in the gridiron crew about having grit and having... Um, players that we kind of, well, teams that we have a, a soft spot for, the Lions certainly are one, the the Texans certainly one, but when it comes to players, I think above all players that have been cast off rejects and I think this is the, the little orphan puppy that has come to the back door of the crew more often than not, that's been fed scraps for the past couple of seasons and we're just so happy to see it get in a happy home, to be well fed and looked after and it's thriving now, and that is um, Baker Mayfield's Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the humbling of the Philadelphia Eagles. Matt, Baker Mayfield, what a transformation this man has made. Last year, he couldn't get a team. He was turning up here, there, and everywhere. Had a couple of games for the early Rams um, when Stafford was injured, and Led, that, led them to a, a game-winning drive in the last minutes. Headbutting, uh, he was so hyped up, they headbutted somebody without his helmet on. He was just, <laughs> we think like that, it makes him just so endearing to, to us at the crew. What do you guys that the Road of the Lions think of him? I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because everyone thought he was hard as nails when he was with the Browns, but there was always this aura of him being a little bit childish, that he hadn't grown up yet, and that's why they didn't want to pay him. And he's bounced around the league. He's been humbled. And he's still the quarterback that played with the Browns. And he's still got that arm and he can still fight through everything. I mean, he was battered and bruised. He was so broken with the Browns and he still wanted to play through everything. Yeah. It reminded me of Stafford. 
He still reminds me of Stafford. Um, he's an absolute warrior, and I, I, I think he's fantastic. I do have a gripe with him that if he won his game against, was it Seattle last year? It was what put Seattle into the playoffs was LA losing. And it was oh, him yes, as quarterback. Yes. So, like, come on, Baker, you can win this game and you can put the lines in the playoffs <laughs> over Seattle, and he didn't do it. But I, I love the story. He was a scout team defensive end for the Carolina Panthers last year at some point in the season. And he is now in the divisional round of the playoffs as QB1, and he deserves it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Liam, the, the Buccaneers were written off by majority of people when it came to the start of the season. Uh, Tom Brady retiring, everybody thought that was them, they were on their, their downward spiral but the thing that kept them going and it seems to have uh, rejuvenated them apart from Baker of course coming in which is the X factor everybody knows is that they've got talent, they've got quality players they've got some fantastic, consistent wide receivers in uh, Mike Evans, Chris Goodwin uh, sorry, Godwin but they've also had a really, really strong defence. But we so, so wrong to write them off so early on. Well, I kind of touching on that, I think, with, with Baker. I think he's probably one of his best supporting casts, you know, wide receiver-wise. You know, he's, as you say, with Evans. And I suppose Godwin has probably had a bit of a down, down year overall, but he still, yeah. he still had, well, he had a good good game this week, also getting the, uh, the touchdown. Um, so, yeah, I suppose we probably were probably a bit, a bit close, uh, a bit quick to, to rule him out, I suppose. And you know, Evans had another, you know, what, another what, thousand yard season again, sort of thing. You know, again, you know, and is in a contract. Well, he's, I think he's due to get another contract extension if he's going to get one. I think for mm-hmm. next year. I think so. Um, so yeah, I think overall, and I suppose a lot of players would be White. I suppose Richard White, the running back. He's yep. He's had his. I suppose people, a lot of people doubted him as well. I think, but he's been, he's been getting the, getting the the yards when he needed it, getting the touchdowns when he needed it, sort of thing. He's been and, and doing a job for them. You know, he's been, you know, obviously let, they let go of um, playoff Lenny, sort of thing. So when he's just kind of stepped in there and, and, and taken over, really. They have not been pretty studs. They have they've they've won some absolutely horrendous games. I remember the the last game of the season. I think it was against the Panthers, DPA. Um, Tees were the was the was enough to beat them in that day. They have won. They've not won pretty. They've been gritty, as we've mentioned several times tonight. One wee thing that I want to, to point out to you, and it, as I mentioned earlier on about the, the thread about the tight ends from the, the teams, Laporta, Musgrave, Ferguson, and Joku, um Schultz at the at the the Texans as well. Key Dotton had a fantastic game last night. He got 89 yards from eight receptions and was a big reason for the the Bucks getting down the field and getting plenty of first downs and was a, a, a massive target for him yesterday. Is this is, is it enough, do you think, for them to actually push on after this uh, game? Is it having players like Mike Evans, who we all big fans of in the, at the crew, but having like, these reliable players that you can trust, that you can go to time after time with Godwin and Cade Orton on this occasion, you think that's made a big difference in how well this team has done? I, th- 
I think the fact Baker of Baker trusts his receivers, and I mean, there's, there's absolutely no reason why not. To you, you mentioned the names here. That the first two are Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Key Dalton's been a big part of Baker's safety blanket, whatever you want to call it. Um, this yeah. season, he's used them at times when he's had to. Um, so as I say, he, he's got the trust in those receivers, and obviously Matt will be watching these guys a lot closer than we will at the weekend because that. The first two names, Evans and Godwin, they're they, on any team in the league. They're an elite weapon on their own. Yes. The fact that the Lions have got to game plan for the two of those guys, and Matt's obviously spoke about the difference from branch to the other corners, is that something the Bucks are going to be looking at this, see, this week for for this game in particular? To say, well, if branch goes with Godwin, Evans is, Evans is going to be a, a first read. Um, or vice versa. So I think it, I think it is something that the Lions will have to consider quite strongly going into this week. Um, what I think is really curious is, obviously you mentioned that Panthers game in Week 18. The the Bucks were literally an Anton Winfield Jr. tipped pass away from losing a touchdown to the Panthers and putting them in a losing position. That's how so close they, they were to being out in the playoffs. Um, and then they've obviously just well, the Eagles have stepped into their stadium and let's not kid ourselves, they dominated the Eagles. The Eagles get nine points in this game and they all came in the second quarter. Um, they stopped the the brotherly shove, the tush push, whatever you want to call it, on, <laughs> in the second quarter. Uh, the, the Bucks defence, I'd, I'd mentioned it on the preview crew as well, the Bucks defence feels like it's getting back to that Super Bowl defence. Um mm. Again, I seen it firsthand when when they absolutely destroyed us, albeit with a secondary offensive line, but still they still won. <laughs> but they're getting back to that stage. They're they're being that nasty, difficult team taking a beat. And when you've got somebody, again, I think that was a higher amount of praise that Matt gave him compared to Stafford um, as his first point, and the fact that he does remind them of Stafford in, in various aspects. He wanted to get out. When they've got somebody in there like him that can find these targets reliably and consistently, they're going to be a threat to any team. Absolutely. Matt, did you lump heavily on the Buccaneers when you saw that um, AJ Brown was going to be out of the game um, with injury? Well, when Hurts obviously had his hand injury as well. I actually yeah. I, I put £50 on Tampa to win by 11 points or more. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, that returns 350 quid. So I was pretty happy <laughs> with the blowout win. It was lovely. Um, I, I was saying that, 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 that none of that mattered to me. Matt Patricia calling the defense was what won it for me. I just knew that they would be soft as hell. And they were. <laughs> they were awful. But so we've played Tampa already this season. Week six, we beat them 20 to six. And it's a totally different team. They. Yeah. They just went to pieces in the past, couldn't run the ball. And their defense, it's a weird one because when they got you, they got you. But they don't quite often. It's a high risk, high blitz, all action defense. And if you have an accurate quarterback who can just surgically take a two-step drop and pass the ball Mm -hmm. over it, you're okay. And so... I don't have a huge amount of fear about Tampa Bay. I'm not overlooking them because if they start hitting you and the quarterback starts seeing ghosts, you're in big, big trouble. But, you know, they've just drafted so well. I mean, Cancy had a hell of a game 
in this game, the uh, rookie defensive tackle. But they took Cody Mulch, the, the guard who's had a reasonable year on the offensive line. And then they also had a um, couple of offensive weapons that I really, really liked in the later rounds. Payne Durham out of uh, Purdue, the tight ends. He only had one catch, but he was one of my favorite tight ends in the draft this year. He's going to mm-hmm. come good in a couple of years, but he could be a factor. I'll catch here or there with Kade on mm-hmm. as, as tight end one. The other one was Trey Palmer, who had the 56-yarder, and he was absolutely brilliant. Only one catch, but that's all we need. And, you know, when... The he, average. Yeah, great average. Not quite as good as the tight end for the Texans, who had a 76-yard average on his <laughs> one catch. Um, but it, it, it's a highlight of all of these teams that are kind of going through, that you're looking through, and they're like, oh, they have six or seven viable guys they can pass to. In Otten, David Moore, we haven't mentioned, who had a really good game too. I think he was formerly with the Panthers, um, so moved in division and is doing good stuff. Trey Palmer, Mike Evans, Chris Govan, Payne Durham. And then I think Chase Edmonds is a good change of pace back as well. He hasn't hit the heights that he has previously in his career. But if Rashad White goes down, he's passable. So this team has a little bit of depth. I, I, I don't say I don't have fear of them. But they've definitely got enough to make some waves. What about the Liam? What about the the Eagles? Where did it all go wrong for them? Um, is it Matt Patricia? Is that where the the, the blame lies, or is it Sirianni? And it's weird to say this after when you're looking at Week Eleven that um, how great a run they'd been and how they were just doing enough to get through, but it's in the hot seat now? Is there a chance that they could be looking to move on from him? I think as we touched on earlier, I think the, the Eagles fans will, will let, let them know all about it, so um, I suppose time will tell, um, but it was a strange coming into this game like before it. The Eagles, as we touched on, like were just falling apart at the end of the season, and you, you like, can they regroup and, and do something in the playoffs? But you just, I just couldn't see it happening. Just, I, I think I picked the, the Bucks to win it as well, which Again, Bucks have been battling through all season themselves, but you just—it was a strange, a strange place to be where we are now with the Eagles, where, where they've come, yeah. where they've came from, where, where they've got to now. I don't—I've also touched a lot on, on Matt Patricia and the defense, uh, but there just seems to be more to it than that. I don't know what's going on. I suppose there was all the thing with AJ Brown removing all his um, his stuff off of his social media and things yes. like that, and, and all that. I know that I don't really buy too much into that. They've, you know, players do it all the time and a bit of a bit of showboating, if you want to call it that. But you know, who knows what's really behind that? Is he just in the huff because he they wouldn't let him go, etc.? But who knows? Um, but yeah, there just seems to be more more drama there somewhere. Time will tell if we ever find out. Amazing. Um, well, it, it finished um, with the, the Buccaneers and the Eagles. It finished, I've lost it there, 32-9 to the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers, as we say, progressed through. They're now actually going to take on Matt's Detroit Lions heading to Ford Fields um, on Sunday, 8 o'clock. We're looking forward to, to that matchup. It'll be a, a fun and frisky game, no doubt, um, that one there. Right, guys, I've kept you long enough. But let's let's I was thinking of postponing the next game, uh, <laughs> the Steelers at the at the Bills. But I think we'll, we'll we'll persevere. We'll get through this super fast. This one it was a long time coming, and how they managed to get that game on in 
those conditions is just testament to the, the ground staff that work there, to the fans and the absolute mentalness of the people that actually braved going out to clear the paths around the stadium, the seats um, at the stadium and to get that on. It was it was wild. It wild. I've got some friends who live in, in Long Island and um, Ohio and places over there and they've been bracing for some wild, wild weather and that Highfield Stadium, um, did, <laughs> they managed to get a game on there when you saw what was about two or three foot of um, snow in that stadium. Uh, incredible. Um, did you catch much of the game, Studs? Did you see much of it yourself? Uh, i seen bits of it, to be honest. Um, so it was, for me, I, again, I'd, I'd been kind of quite vocal. I didn't want to see Mason Rudolph in the playoffs because I don't think he could do anything. Um, he's not going to lead a team and drive a team. And then you've seen, obviously, TJ Watt getting injured last week of the season. This game was was always going to be a washout. And I think it could have proved the Steelers really didn't lay much of a glove on Josh Allen. Um, Josh Allen's biggest thing all season has been turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. He turns the ball over. There was absolutely no turnovers unless it was Mason Rudolph. Um, I think he committed a couple. So, for me, it was... Yeah, I think this just was the one. Uh, just the one. Just the one for Mason Rudolph, as you said, none for for Josh Allen. This this was literally the look at all the games this weekend. This was the one where I would confidently have said this is a Bills win. End of discussion, and that and let's yeah. move on to the next one. So, I, I just as soon as TJ Watts out that equation, I don't think the Steelers had enough. If I had fifty pound off Matt's money, I, I think I'd have been putting it on the bills, and I certainly wouldn't have been putting it on the bucks um, at the weekend there. But um, Matt, uh, fourteen uh, to z- fourteen to zero in the the first quarter, and then it was tied the rest of the the game. Both teams scoring seven in the second, three in the third, and seven in the fourth. After the bills had got their their lead, they just kept them at arms left, like a. a keep my wee guy um, away from them as they kept swinging. They just did enough, really, to, to keep them back. That They didn't really have to extend themselves too much. And as Studs had mentioned, because you're playing up against Mason Rudolph, there's no TJ Watt. I think the Bills kind of realise if they can just get that little bit of a, a head start, get a good wee lead, then they can really just conserve themselves, protect themselves for later on in the 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 playoff rounds. Yeah, I think, just to preface this, I think Josh Allen's my favourite player in the league and has been for some time. He yeah. is fantastic. And that, I mean, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers should be ashamed of themselves for this game because allowing the the 52-yard rushing touchdown through oh. just weak tackling, like, they just didn't look bothered. And then they came back into it and it's like, oh, there is some fight there. But, it was really disappointing to watch. So on that side of things, the Pittsburgh defense just missed TJ Watt. They they missed their leader. And without him, the culture kind of fell apart. Everyone seemed to have a bad game on the Pittsburgh defense. And Alan really took advantage of that. I think it was the first time two tight ends had scored touchdowns in a playoff game or something, which I thought was a mad yep. stat. So it might be wrong. But Kincaid and, and uh, Dawson Knox had their touchdowns. Really lovely passes by Alan. But I'm going to disagree on Mason Rudolph. And he's someone I've come around to a lot this season in very much a similar way to the uh, Browns quarterback that we were talking about earlier. But mm-hmm. 
I think he's played his way into having a camp battle next year if Tomlin stays in charge of the Steelers. And of course, there's rumours as to whether he wants to walk away from that situation, whether they're going to make him walk away from the situation. But he wasn't the reason they lost this game either. Quarterbacks being let down by the rest of their team is the theme of this round for me because, yeah, he had one pick, but it wasn't his fault that Pickens had a, a fumble that was you know, recovered by by Buffalo. And otherwise, they moved the ball really well. The pick was in the end zone. And it he targeted Kair Elam, who had back-to-back awful plays. So it was probably mm-hmm. a pretty good shout to go after him. And Elam just made a kind of lucky play. He wasn't even looking at the ball. It just kind of hit him in the hand and he just kind of grabbed onto it. But I think Rudolph was impressive. And I think he's been impressive all this time because they've had their backup quarterback healthy the last four or five weeks. And yet yeah. Rudolph is playing over Mitch Trubisky. And that's for a reason. It's because they give him a better chance to win. I think they're, they're happy to move on to Trubisky. Rudolph, as you say, 22 from 39. 229 yards with the, the two touchdowns and just the one interception. Yeah, that certainly played himself into contention um, for the, the start of next season. You mentioned the Josh Allen touchdown, the Russian touchdown. It was the the slight pause that he made halfway through the run that just created utter confusion for the Steelers. And um, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. I thought there had been a call, there was a whistle or something when I first watched it, and that he was just stopping, um, giving himself up. But then the, the just the injection of pace, and even at towards the end, he was still running away from players who should be able to keep up with them. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Liam, what did you think of it? What, did you catch much of the game? Yes, yeah, so I'm a bit like uh, certainly before uh, for, the, for the first half. I think, as you say, Alan was 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 impressive. You know, that, that run was, was something else. And even as the, the two throws he had to the tight ends were also really nice plays. You can expect them to do. Um, but you just kind of he just again kept kept his game clean for for this week. Didn't throw any interceptions, um, and I suppose that was just kind of the, the kind of difference really in the end. Uh, you know, as we touched on, Rudolph did all right. He was let down, I think, by Pickens uh, losing that fumble. There's that other one, that the famous one that was debatable where he, he lost as well. I th- I thought I thought he did. I thought the guy, um, the Buffalo player caught it in bounds um, or recovered it in bounds, should I say? But I think for the Bills, I thought the one thing I kind of read was kind of seen there was they, they lost some more more of their uh, defense to injuries again. I think it was Bernard that went out, um, and some other players went out. That seems to be just troubling them all season. They just can't seem to stay healthy in defense. So I, I don't know if that's going to be one of the deciding factors. What what happens in the end in the, in the next next round or two, however they go, you know. Um, and I think um, I suppose that we'll see we'll see if they can get some players back healthy again. And, and and hopefully be able to kind of keep their, their momentum going, I suppose, that they've kind of built up after we after we so much uh, wrote them off, didn't we, a few times? So Absolutely. It's certainly the, the momentum, as you say, the, the, the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl window stays um, open um, still. And this week um, they are hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs, who we're going to actually go into now, studs, um, Played the Dolphins at the weekend. Uh, record-breaking temperatures. Um, 
Uh, I think it got to minus 20, minus 21 degrees Celsius with another oof, minus 30, 32 for the wind chill when you factored that in. It was a ridiculous idea to play football in those conditions. Yet, your boys came through and would you have said that it was a convincing win for you? Yeah, he's muted. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. Absolutely. For me, it was. Um, I mean, the boys come through, you, you said it yourself, but there was only one team really played football. I do not think the Miami Dolphins turned up at all. Um, yeah. Tyreek Hill had one one play uh, where we kind of we lost track of him. There was a nice motion, and he, he was already probably beating the cornerback for pace before he even got by the line of scrimmage, if I'm honest. Um, it's just <laughs> so quick. But other than that, we we controlled this game from start to finish. The one concern I would have on our side of the ball was we weren't clinical enough in the red zone. Um, I think between the second and third quarter, um, all our points were field goals. We got a touchdown in the first quarter, touchdown in the last quarter. We had multiple red zone visits. Um, in the second and third quarter and we just did not put the Dolphins away um, but again our defence, I mentioned it earlier, uh, again on the preview crew, our defence has been ridiculous all season it really has been the driving force behind this team, Lajari Sneed again, there's one um, route on Tyreek Hill for me which again there's been multiple videos um shown of it and i think even tiny kills kind of laughed about it um basically where sneed gets his hands on him at the line of scrimmage the i think it might be a run place it ends up not coming to hill but hill falls over and then after the place stopped dead you actually see hill getting up and shoving sneed so he's obviously raging um, um and i think sneed just seen the two games against the Dolphins he seems to have had his number um, he knows how to kind of work how um, mm-hmm. but yeah for me it was convincing victory slight concerns over the red zone visits but yeah I don't, I don't think we looked in any danger um, Matt the, the Dolphins were pretty banged up um, in the lead up to the game they were, they were um, picking up a few players to help bolster the, the lines there for me, one of the biggest disappointments, though, and it might have been due to injury, was uh, Raheem Mostert, who's had a fantastic season, record-breaking number of touchdowns. Just didn't really get on it at all. Eight carries for 33 yards, and that was the most of any of the, the Dolphins um, for the for rushing. I'm really, really disappointed for him and, and the team that they didn't manage to get more. Yeah, I think it's the thing which has kind of pushed Miami to this sort of elite offense level is the fact that they already had the elite passing attack with with Tyreek and, and Waddle, but then they added this dynamic rushing attack, which they just, mm-hmm. for, for love nor money, they would not run the ball last year. And everyone was crying out for it because they looked like they were going to be good doing it. They finally went to it and it worked. And it's like, wow, now you're multidimensional. Now you can beat anyone. And most yep. has been a big part of that. But A-Chan's been huge as well. And neither of them came to play. But that wasn't their fault. Their offensive line was just absolutely decimated by the Chiefs. And I mean, I know that they only had two sacks on the day, the Chiefs. But they were put in two or under massive pressure when he was dropping back to pass. And when they were running the ball, they couldn't go anywhere. So what do you do as an offense? Uh, Miami are a team 
built for warm weather, losing in week 18 to lose home field advantage has put the nail in the coffin of their season. And it's all their own fault. It certainly did. It's a, a shame, although I've enjoyed watching the Dolphins, especially at the start of the season. I like Mike McDaniel. Um, I still think that there's there's more to come from us. I still feel they're a team on the ascendancy, and I think they will learn from this. But as you said, injuries at, at the wrong time, players just not quite performing to their ability. The conditions as well, we've got to take that into, into consideration. Minus 20 degrees. I love seeing the, the videos of Travis Kelsey coming off to the sideline. It looked as if he'd just been through... Um, the stuntmen have been uh, lit on fire and then the steam is just still emanating off of them. It was ridiculous. It looked as if he was about to spontaneously combust at any moment. It was uh, it was terrific. Um, yeah, I, I think I still think there's there's more to come from the the count, uh, from the Dolphins. Studs, going back to your Chiefs. Um, we mentioned most are not making the most of his uh, opportunities or even getting any, many opportunities, but someone who did was Isaiah Pacheco. Um, got a touchdown in the Super Bowl last year. Um, I know you're a fan of his. Moved away from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, to really, really replace him. Um, Isaiah Pacheco, just an angry runner, and he's making the most of his chances now. I no, he's... Um... He's absolutely somebody who's took his chance. He was a seventh seventh rounder, I think, last year um, when we yep. picked him up. And Edward Salia had multiple opportunities. He picked up an injury, and Pacheco hasn't looked back. Um, he took his chances last year. He's been probably, well, I'd say probably one of the shining lights. We've had two shining lights on, on our offense, and it's been Pacheco and Rashi Rice. And they're the two guys that really stepped up this weekend. Both of them get a touchdown. Rashi Rice... 140 yards, I think it was, or something to that effect. 130, yep, so 130. 130. Um, so, yeah, 130 yards on eight receptions. He was ridiculous. And Pacheco, there's some of his, particularly his early runs, where he was dragging. He really wanted to feel the hats in the cold, and he was hitting that Miami defence to see if they were going to stand up to it. Um, and they just kept going back and back for more, so... No, those, those two guys were absolutely superb for us this weekend. And again, there's one play from Mahomes. I think it was a third and 11, third and 12, where we've seen um, a little bit of Mahomes' magic. It dropped back to pass. It opened up, and we just seen him scramble for the first time. I think he almost got in the end zone with it, and it might have been yeah. in that play that his helmet actually shattered um, because of the cold uh, as well. So you're just starting to see little glimpses what Mahomes can do, and again, similar to what I said about um, oh, who was I talking about the quarterback, uh, CJ Stroud, where he's grown in and he's hitting the form. Mahomes knows how to win big playoff games, and if he's starting to find these wee bits of magic and starting to really find form with these receivers, then other teams could be in trouble. And the one thing I've actually loved about the playoffs this weekend is nobody's been talking about the Chiefs at all. We've just kind of slid under the radar this weekend, maybe because of the weather, I don't know, but I don't think there's much noise around the Chiefs so far. That may change, and this is the time of year where you're wanting them to, to really just start to, to come into the form. They've been holding back all year, playing within themselves, plenty of drops as well, Liam. Um, 
from the the, the the look of the game, the, the Dolphins and the Chiefs, Chiefs, as we've mentioned there, and uh, Studs just brought them up there, Rashi Rice coming onto a game at the right time towards the end of the season, he was starting to really, really raise his head and prove that he's the, the number one wide receiving target for Pat Mahomes. Um, the one who's not going to drop the ball, it seems, just now. 130 yards from the eight receptions and the touchdown as well. He seems to be Mr. Consistency in that team when they've really been crying out for it. No, definitely. I think you know, obviously he's just kind of slowly built built as the season's gone on. Obviously he's, he's had his he had his flashes at the start from memory as well. Yeah. The first couple of games he had some flashes, but he's just kind of built up. And even the last Dolphins game, I think he got a touchdown as well. Had another strong game in the last uh, the one in Germany. Um, yeah. And like that, they've maybe just found a receiver now. I know Tony was was an active kind of. I don't know if he was. I think he was on injury report. I think memory serves him well. Um, you know, obviously, Tony's had his, um, we all know about Tony's moments throughout the season with his drops, but, and then I suppose coming into the season, everyone was talking about Sky Moore, kind of taking a step and up, taking a step forward, and he seems to have kind of disappeared as well. Um, yeah. You know, Harvin's now back in there, coming back from the, the Jets, and obviously he's not maybe getting the stats, but he's in there doing doing his piece sort of thing, doing the dirty work to some degree, and Rice seems to just be, he just slowly working his way into, into Mahomes, you know, a nice Mahomes Rice, uh, you know, tandem. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, the only other thing that I want to bring up from that game was um, Kyle Juszczyk's wife. Um, did you see the jacket that she made for Taylor Swift? Um, there was also one that she made for, I think it's Taylor Lautner um, yeah, for the, the Lions. Have, have you seen that one, Matt? It's, yeah. I. Someone at the NFL shop needs to get in touch with uh, Kristen Juszczyk because the work that she's doing these are these are going to really take off and they look for length as well. Which at this time of year, everybody's going to really appreciate that. Um, yeah, absolutely terrific work, fantastic guys. This has been a, a marathon. It's been an absolute slog. I've been getting the door chapped uh, on meeting as bedtime, so I think we will bypass our cruise missile <laughs> and who crushed it this week. Um, just like the Bills game, we'll postpone that on. Gentlemen, um, all that leaves me to say is thank you very, very much for, for joining us. Uh, Liam, it's been an absolute pleasure. No, always a pleasure, always. Always great to chat, chat ball. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope your, your team does well um, this weekend again. They're, of course, my, my green team, as I said. I'll be <laughs> rooting for them. Um, and hope they, they, they pull off a, another wee victory at the weekend. Studs, you took the call late on this evening, and I really, really appreciate you. Yeah, you, you, yes, late substitution to come in. I appreciate you helping us out, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. No, no hassles, man. Always happy to dive in and help where I can. And any excuse to chat on a Chiefs victory, I'll gladly accept. <laughs> and Matt, wonderful chatting with you. Your knowledge of the the lines and the game. Uh, on, a, on a whole is uh, to be commended it's something that I aspire myself to, to get to knowing I'm still at the, the top player the veneer at the top with just the, the offensive players but you, you know your stuff and hopefully we can get you back on again sometime it'd be wonderful to talk to you never know maybe another Lions win this weekend and we'll get you back next week definitely sounds great to me thanks for having me on so uh, Matt, where can we, we hear more from you and your your fellow uh, Lions fans? 
we're on all the social media. We even have someone cutting up TikToks now. So if you just search Roar of the Lions UK on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, then you'll you'll find us somewhere. There's a website as well, which you mentioned, Keith, earlier, but it, it's not often used anymore. We started as a blog and we kind of transitioned away from that quickly because speaking about it, it's more fun than writing about it somehow. Certainly is. <laughs> Do you know something I've noticed you mentioned earlier on off, uh, I'm not talking about AI. We can get AI to to describe all this rubbish that we spew for the the couple hours that we're on the podcast for so yeah we might be able to cherry pick some little nuggets from that and put onto websites and blogs as uh, going forward but thank you very much again really really appreciate it um as i said we have bypassed the cruise missile of the week and who crushed it for you if you have any suggestions and nominations please get in touch with the crew as uh, matt says we're across all the the social media as well um at grid uh iron crew on x and you find us on instagram twitch everywhere um so yes please get your nominations in we will be back later on this week this thursday dan will be at the helm as the preview crew look ahead to the divisional round of matches so there's uh, four matches isn't it this weekend two on the saturday two on the sunday so another feast of football for us to, to look forward to um Thanks very much for for listening and we will speak to you again soon.